Welcome to Support for Survivors, a podcast for survivors of sexual abuse. Each person's journey is unique. Our goal is to connect survivors to resources along the way on their path to healing. Our host, Shaughnessy Terrell, is a member of Cohen and Malad's sexual abuse litigation team and a former deputy prosecuting attorney who has tried hundreds of cases against sexual predators. We are here to help survivors get access to justice. Join us on this journey. Here is Support for Survivors. Hello everyone, this is your host, Shaughnessy Terrell. Welcome to Support for Survivors. Today we are so happy to welcome filmmaker Lisa Bryant to the show. Lisa is director, executive producer, and showrunner of the award-winning docuseries Jeffrey Epstein, Filthy Rich, which was Critics' Choice winner Best Crime and Justice Series 2020. Lisa has more than 25 years of experience as a director, showrunner, executive producer, and development executive for numerous television networks, including Netflix, NBC, Investigation Discovery, Oxygen, Travel Channel, and the History Channel. Her wide range of interviewing experience includes sexual assault survivors, crime victims' family members, death row inmates, former U.S. presidents, celebrities, and professional athletes. Prior to Jeffrey Epstein, Filthy Rich, Lisa served as an executive producer, co-director, and showrunner of the award-winning docuseries Unspeakable Crime, The Killing of Jessica Chambers, working alongside acclaimed true crime documentarian Joe Berlinger, and also collaborated with Berlinger and Radical Media on Gone, The Forgotten Women of Ohio. Lisa started her career as a news anchor before moving behind the camera and has spent the last decade specializing in the true crime genre. Awards include two Critics' Choice Award nominations, one win for Jeffrey Epstein, Filthy Rich, Synopsis Award, Best True Crime Series for Unspeakable Crime, The Killing of Jessica Chambers, an Emmy nomination, six Telly Awards, two Gracie Awards for Excellence in Coverage of Women's Issues, and an Associated Press Award. That is very impressive. Thank you so much for being here today, Lisa. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we're honored. It's so wonderful. Um, I kind of want to just dive right into it a little bit and really just start was a little bit about your background. Did you always know that you wanted to be behind the camera, that you wanted to be a filmmaker? Is that where your dreams were? Did it kind of change somewhere along the way? Uh, well, you gave such a good uh, thumbnail sketch of my bio there. I actually did start uh, in front of the camera in news. And uh, just as kind of things progressed in life, I started going behind the camera more and became more attached to bigger issues and, and issues that could have impact change. Um, things with survivors or victims of uh, wrongful death. And I, I just, uh, you know, I think it's a path that I, I, I figured I would eventually take it over, you know, 25 years, you know, and finally feel like uh, I've really hit the plateau and realizing all of these filmmaking dreams that I've had, you know, and, and developed over the years. That's awesome. I mean, you're definitely making, you're affecting change. I can tell you that. So I think it's super cool that that's the path that you've gone down is you know, you really could be doing anything you wanted and what you're doing is actually making a difference for these people. So I think that that's a wonderful thing. So when did you first hear about Jeffrey Epstein, like at all? Well, I live in New York, but I'm not a New Yorker. So, and I, you know, I don't know that many people worldwide or even in the United States knew very much about him, even though everything that we've learned now we should have known about him 15 years ago when he was a, a registered sex offender, a convicted felon, but yet nobody cared. You know, this mm-hmm. abuse of wealth and power covered up, as we know now, dozens and dozens of crimes. And he was really sent to jail with a slap on the wrist and just a very minor conviction. Basically, his high power team of attorneys placing the blame on the victims and uh, survivors, actually, is what you know, I prefer to call them. Um, and mm-hmm. basically leading a big cover up and smear campaign of, of these young women who were manipulated and taken advantage of. 
So I had not heard of him because they had done such a good job of that. And uh, also not being a New Yorker originally, I didn't hear about it until about a couple of months before as it was being talked about as a possibility of a show or a series and documentary. And I had, had worked with a documentary and Joe Berlinger before and Radical Media. And the, you know, they let me know they had this project in the works and they really need a, needed a female, you know, strong female who had experience dealing with this kind of, uh, uh, well, not this, there is no dealing with this kind of situation. There's never, it's an unprecedented situation, but someone who, you know, was a strong female who could handle this type of material. And the more I read about it, the more angry I became. It was, mm-hmm. you know, it was shocking. It really was. And and the more angry I got, the more I wanted to give these women a voice and I wanted to tell their stories and let them tell their stories and kind of unravel the big cover up that had been going on for so many years. We started long before anybody else really had heard about him, I think, in the mainstream media and uh, just across the country and, and the world, really, because we had this in the works. Uh, I would say we, we had started production eight months before he was even arrested. Wow. So we were ahead of the game and then kind of found ourselves in this unique situation where we had already had a, 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 the first episode in the series of four, you know, that was going to be on Netflix. But yet it, it, it was much different than it turned out, I will say, because all of a sudden, <laughs> you know, eight months later, uh, he's arrested and the, there's attention focused on him again. But I guess long story short is I didn't know much about him. And the more I dug in, you know, it was really shocking to see how wide his tentacles spread mm-hmm. and continue to spread even after his death. It, I bet I, it's really interesting to hear you talk about that because I think it probably started out as a very different project because he was still alive and nobody knew that he was actually about to go down. And so, and you guys were familiar with his tactics, right? You knew that his intimidation tactics, the various yeah. things he said, and you actually had a different name for the documentary at first, right? To kind of keep it under wraps so they couldn't come intimidate you guys essentially. Yeah, we were definitely aware that he would probably learn that the project was in the works and he he and his team of attorneys and just henchmen or whatever you want to call them uh, were known for trying to keep people quiet. And Netflix and Radical Media went to really some pretty good lengths to make sure that they were not going to know what was happening. Uh, we had a special room that had a door lock and it had cameras in it. We had a safe where we put our all of our filming, uh, you know, our little cards that we shot our interviews and things on and we, you know, our documentation and things in a safe. We wanted to make sure that they couldn't hack into the computer system. We had a secret server, as we called it, where we communicated with each other and, and had to be very, very careful because we did not know what was going to take place because that's very well connected and powerful and the uh, the abuse of, of, of his power and, and his wealth had gotten him a long way. So we wanted to make sure that that didn't happen. And and uh, and as far as we know, he never did. I mean, he, we think he, well, I know he knew the project was in the works, but they never hacked into our systems or anything like that. And then he had bigger fish to fry pretty shortly after that. So he's like, well, I'm yeah, not going to worry about did. that anymore. That's just so interesting because it's like when I read, first read James Patterson's book and then I read or I watched the documentary, you know, it, I really love the documentary because I learned so much more that wasn't even in the book. And so it was really cool kind of to see it all put together and flow and some more of those details coming out and speaking with the victims that so, but when I watched it, I was like, this is crazy. Like, these are things that if someone, it was in a movie, I'd be like, that's not even realistic. And then I'm watching this documentary and I'm like, okay, I couldn't even make that up. And now I'm listening to you talk about making the documentary and it's the same kind of stuff. But I guess that those are those tactics that they that he used and the people around him used for so long that that's what enabled him to be able to continue to do this. 
true. I think you you just nailed it. I, I mean, money sadly is you know, and also there was blackmail as we now know involved, alleged to be involved, and and when you have big names and powerful people that are attached to that, he he's well known now for you know. There's so much that we've learned so even mm-hmm. during the filming of it. This has been like three years of my life now because it still continues in a way. You know, <laughs> the, that we've learned how he has paid people off and used, held things over their heads or wanted to believe that. I've not seen any tapes. Nobody's really seen any tapes, but there's every reason to believe there are some. Mm-hmm. You know, many of the survivors saw cameras everywhere. He told people, I've got things on people. I've got things on Prince Andrew. I've got things on, on these famous, wealthy politicians, scientists. Just, it's, it's amazing how the names and things that could be associated with it. We don't 100% know. But we've got to think there's some truth in, in all of that. So um, it's, it is very shocking and widespread. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's a crazy story that just it's gotten bigger almost since he's been gone. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So it's so, so interesting. And one of the questions I had that I wanted to ask because I know that there are probably there's probably a lot of stuff that you know or you've heard that you can't say because you know you weren't able to verify it or it's because it is still ongoing. But who do you think beyond him, you know, in your opinion, and you can go as far with this as you feel comfortable, who who else do you think is culpable or at least complicit in what he did? Because from the way it sounds, everybody around him in that that had anything to do with that uh with the mansion in palm beach had to know what was going on even if they weren't Mm -hmm. directly involved in it like young girls three to four at least girls out of there in and out every day i mean yeah well i think his employees had to have known something was was off whether they knew the girls ages in palm beach that were underage but there was many women go to the island not everybody there was underage there was women uh you know in their 20s, that's still sex trafficking. That's still illegal. It's still a crime. They don't have to be underage. His home's in Paris and, you know, where there's a different legal age limit. That's, that doesn't pertain to sex trafficking. We're talking about sex trafficking. Florida, I think it was very specific. They were targeting underage girls and trying to tear them apart. Mm-hmm. And, but I, I think it's just, it shows you that people don't have a, a good understanding of, mm-hmm. of what that is. And, and they were so good at trying to tear down the girls and tear down their stories and make it seem like it's their fault. They enjoyed it. They took the money. They got something out of it. And mm-hmm. there is a portion of that that's true. But prior to that happening and them taking the money, they were targeted very specifically. They were targeted uh, because they were vulnerable in one way or the other they needed something he was going to give them he promised them schooling in a, or to go away to France and, and get a go to a culinary school or go to a ballet school it's very expensive go to Juilliard um, or he's going to pay for them to become a Victoria's Secret model or he would just give them $200 for a massage everything was very targeted and there was a lot of grooming and I think most people think that he was having sex with all these girls Sex is not a, a huge part of it. Uh, I mean, it, uh, that sounds funny to say that, but like in the massage routine, there was not always, he was masturbating a lot, but there wasn't mm-hmm. always like intercourse with these young girls. In fact, most of them he didn't have intercourse with, but I think that was part of his sickness and his mm-hmm. game. It was like exciting to know that, well, I wonder how this one's going to go. It's almost like, you know, uh, each one, each interaction was going to be different. And I wonder if this girl will come back and maybe I won't try anything for the first five or six times. And then I'm going to push it and I'm going to push that envelope. And um, really that's what he did. And he had help. He had a lot of help. Other recruiters, other recruiters who were victims themselves, other recruiters who Mm -hmm. may not have been victims themselves. We've got 
people like Ghislaine Maxwell. It's like, well, is she a victim too? Is she an enabler? Is she as bad as he is? We know she's about to go on trial and have her day in court as well, but she certainly was an adult and should be treated differently than these younger girls right. who, who might've been bringing some of these girls over there or recruiting their friends because Miss Maxwell certainly uh, was right in it with him with the manipulation and the grooming and we've heard from multiple women. Everybody's innocent until proven guilty, but there's certainly many stories that back up that she was very much involved, if not more of a mastermind at, mm-hmm. at grooming than he was. Yeah, it was really fascinating to see that. And I, I, I love that because, you, you know, you're obviously exactly right that I think sex trafficking people don't really understand what it looks like. And I've said this a million times, but people think it's like the movie Taken. But really, it's most of the victims that we're seeing in the United States are those vulnerable youth. And they do. They, they, they promise them whatever is beyond their wildest dreams, usually revolving around either love or money, something that they haven't had. They figure out that that vulnerability is and they exploit it. And then, you know, these are. 14, 15, 16 year old, 17 year old kids, they, I always tell everybody, I was so dumb when I was that age anyway, and you're not thinking clearly. And then like, this guy is super rich. He seems legit and he was nice to them. It's not like he was mean to them or something. Cause that'd be easy. Right. You'd be like, Oh, he was horrible, but he wasn't. And so it's all that grooming process and they are really, really good at it and using Gillen or other women to make them feel safer for Sarah Kella and whomever. And then it was like, once he'd done that, they were in the palm of his hand and he could just do whatever he wanted to do with them. Yeah. And I think also there was a lot of, there's a lot of questions. People always say like, well, why didn't they just leave? Why did they come back? They had a choice. Well, sometimes they did. Sometimes they didn't. And, and honestly, if, if a girl has nowhere to go, she's living on the streets. She, her, her family situation is terrible. And this, this man is promising her things, giving her money. He's not that abusive to her. Maybe he's touching her inappropriately, mm-hmm. but there's, it, it, it's an interesting to put yourself in, in that frame of mind, but people don't understand that. And that's what sex trafficking really is, is like, they don't know how to get out. And, and also there were threats involved. I know where your family lives. And, and there was a lot of that. I, I don't think people hear enough of, of that. And he would do it in, in Ben Maxwell and, and some of these employees who were mm-hmm. in on it with him and other people. They would do it in in non-threatening ways, very nicely saying, well, I wouldn't, you know, talk about this to anyone if I were you or, or you just just veiled threats or, you know, I, I know where your, your cousin lives and they would have very specific information to give them, to scare them. And uh, for young women in their early, late teens, even in their early twenties, that's scary. And they don't, to anybody, it would be, you know, someone like me, don't go to the police and stories of of people that he hired. You know, there's all these non-disclosure agreements that, Mm -hmm. that, that work for him. It's like, well, why, why, why would someone do that? And why would they not say Support for survivors is sponsored by the law firm Cohen and Malad. Cohen and Malad attorneys have over two decades of experience helping sexual abuse survivors. We work through the civil court process to get justice and compensation that can help pay for resources needed to heal from your trauma and move forward. We are proud of the work we do in giving power to your voice. And now back to our show. Why would someone do that? And why would they not say anything? Well, number one, they were getting a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Uh, Number two, they had signed this non-disclosure. They probably didn't really know what they were getting into in the beginning. I've heard multiple stories from employees and other people, even these young women who who they've had to sign these non-disclosure agreements or they've been given settlements or they were told 
don't say anything. Even upon hiring, like, mm-hmm. you may see things, but it's not what you think. Just keep it quiet and mind your own business and don't talk to, you might see presidents here. You don't even look them in the eye to the employees You're telling them not to not to speak to Prince Andrew if he's to come by. You're not even to make eye contact with them. It very, uh, everything was calculated. Uh, everything was very structured and Epstein and Maxwell, by all accounts, were very much in charge of that. And I think the other women who are named as co-conspirators, who were the ones given immunity back Mm -hmm. then, are are far less culpable than the Mm -hmm. ones who were not named. That's what's Mm -hmm. interesting, um, because something most people don't know is those women who were named, Sarah Kellen, Nadia Marcinkova, Leslie Groff, and there's another woman, Adrian Luchinska, these women had no idea they were going to be named as co-conspirators. That tells you they knew a lot. And he wanted to have something on them to let them know that this is another power play. But it's the people like Ghislaine, who is protected sort of under that, but she she didn't need to be named because she's a queen bee. And, and these other people who were very complicit, whose names I, I won't mention, but these other famous people and powerful people, attorneys, whatnot, that are protected under that non-prosecution agreement, so broad, so unheard mm-hmm. of, they didn't need to be named because then if they were named, it would let everybody know who they were and who was really guilty, who the really bad guys are. So let's name these lesser players. Those are really the lesser players, in my personal opinion. I mean, they, they certainly there was a role and was mm-hmm. it wrong? Yes, but were, could they have been victimized first and then manipulated to doing that? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of shades of gray in the story. I think that there's no black and white when it comes to, I think, the, the women who were victimized and or recruiters who then may have been employees or whatever. There's a lot of shades of gray and it all starts from him and their plan. They just worked. It's amazing. It, it didn't get, nobody caught onto it sooner, but Mm -hmm. it goes to show that the money and the power involved and, and how high up it went in the government. It's crazy. And until you just said that, I never even thought about that, that that's why who that's who was named. I never even thought about that. That is that is just another level of manipulation, another tactic. Mm-hmm. That is crazy. So in your opinion, now I know that the exorbitant wealth and those important or well-known names make this a rare, but do you think that these acts or this kind of behavior is rare? Or do you think this is something that we've got a real problem with in the United States? Uh, Well, on a very basic level, I think it is a humongous problem worldwide. I think we have never and probably will never see the likes of something this far reaching again, because it clearly was an international sex trafficking ring that is going to continue to have fallout for years to come. We've had so many banks and things that have have been involved and all these people who took donations. I think names are going to come out if these tapes come out, Mm -hmm. um, even if they don't. I think Ms. Maxwell's trial will be very telling if she even has a trial or if this is a plea deal, she's going to have to give up some names. I think right. it's going to continue to go. I think that uh, just in, in talking to people, and, and I don't certainly know uh, the half of anything, but I do believe that it's going to continue for some time to just unfold. And I, I just don't think there's been anything like it because it really, you know, he had many other, John Luke Brunel is a, is a French modeling mm-hmm. scout who was arrested recently. He mm-hmm along with Ms. Maxwell, are alleged to seem to be the most involved of anyone. And he, uh, John Luke Brunel, is accused of hundreds of rapes. It doesn't, it's not hundreds, I hundreds might be a slight exaggeration, but not really. When you go back to, he's 72 years old, he's, and not all tied to Epstein at all, but just right. over the course of his modeling, he had a modeling agency for so many years, and so many victims of his are coming forward now. And, and that's a whole nother avenue but he and Epstein were very tight and it's alleged he was, John Luke Burnett was feeding 
him girls. And we've spoken to many of those girls who have been victims of both are trafficked by one to the other. And it's, it's very sad. And it is very shocking. I think that, that politicians need to do their jobs rather than try to cover up or worry <laughs> about their reputation and quit giving the wealthy a free pass is really mm-hmm. the bottom Absolutely. line. I love that you brought up Jean-Luc Brunel because when he was arrested, I was like, okay, this is another, obviously when Gielin was arrested, that was huge. And I was like, all right, I think that maybe some, some heads are going to turn now. And then when he was arrested, because I think that he strikes me as the type who will he will flip on anyone if it's going to get him one step further. And so since he has all these allegations against him, he's got a real reason to give up some of these names. And so I think that you're definitely right. I think that I think things are going to happen. <laughs> continue to evolve. Certainly it's going to evolve for a long time. Sadly, you can't just have all the answers at once because I think for these survivors, they want justice. They want it now. Yeah. It's It's been should have come many, many years mm-hmm. ago. And Maria Farmer first coming forward in, in 1996. Why didn't anybody take her seriously then? It's another abuse of power, really. It happened yep. in Ohio or at Les Wexner's mansion. Well, he mm-hmm. owns Ohio. We all know that. Well, mm-hmm. hmm, that's quite interesting in itself, that name. So there's a lot to explore there as well. It's, it is. There's so, it's so many layers and so many offshoots going out every which way because there's just it's just it's crazy I mean the whole thing is nuts and I'm sure that when you first started researching it and getting into it you're like what in the hell but was there anything like after a while I think you know you you get used to it being crazy but was there anything that really stood out to you that was that really surprised you about something that you learned or anything that anyone witness said that really um like shook you or made you think oh my gosh uh, well, you know, it's funny. I think almost every time you think you've, you've read something that's so unbelievable, you, you, you hear something else. Each woman's story is so unique and so different. Talking to them, I learned so much just about human nature, too. You, you learn what's wrong with society, what's wrong with families, that it, people are broken. Uh, you know, everybody has issues and problems. And to have someone kind of almost research that and look to expose that weakness, which is what he did. It really, um, that to me is shocking to learn. And as I'm looking into Ghislaine's now alleged involvement and all of that, that's what's so interesting. You see back the very first known victim now who was around 13 and or that's part of this new criminal case. And, you know, back in 1994, there probably were victims sooner than that, but this has kind of come out is that not only did they research this young girl who looked 9, 10, or 11, she, she was actually 13, but they researched her father had just died. And Ghislaine and, and Epstein reached out to the mother. What a talented child you have. She's going to be a prodigy. Let me support her. And they targeted the mother and groomed the mother before they then groomed the girl. And this abuse went on for so many years. And, and actually, the mother didn't really know because she trusted them. Mm-hmm. They portrayed themselves as a couple. And so that is really actually kind of shocking that it wasn't just grooming vulnerable girls. It's grooming mothers and parents who they could never have known this nice couple who's mm-hmm. in their 40s or 50s wanting to help a talented student mm-hmm. of some sort. That's really uh, awful and really just says how sick and controlling and the depths that, that they would go. And why? That's the real question is why? A million dollar question and one that I don't know that we'll ever know that answer. Who knows what's going to happen with her and what she'll end up giving up. But I think at the end of the day, I don't know that that, that, that's a major question that we ask anytime we see stories like this, because 
I think if we at least as a professional working with that field, like if we understood it a little bit better, maybe we could figure out how to prevent it because it's really hard for the rest of us to wrap our minds around. Cause like, yeah, I agree. And something is so unique about his Epstein's system and his pyramid scheme, if you will, is that he for decades kind of set up this network of mm-hmm. enablers to help carry out his crimes. He really set up these people who yeah, I'd have to say maybe some didn't really know what's going on, but the majority of them kind of were in on it, you know, mm-hmm. in, some, in one way or another at different varying levels of criminality. But mm-hmm. he really set up a network worldwide to help him not only carry this out, but cover it up with threats, money, political connections. And, and half of it was based on lies because he really wasn't as smart or as connected as people thought. He was, he was a big name dropper. His whole, his whole life really was kind of a fraud and, and a scam. He didn't uh, have a degree when he was a teacher. And then his, his lies and cover, he, he was just such a good scam artist. Like the ultimate scam artist, I think he schemed his way into so many ways. And he was doing it from when he was a young man, just like you said, when he was teaching at the Dalton school and he never even graduated from college. And that's like the premier school or one of the premier schools, right? It's like craziness. I, I really appreciate how the documentary does highlight and teach us some really important lessons. I think one of which is you're talking about grooming, very important. You're, you're, you show exactly how they did that. I think another important lesson to be learned is the brokenness to some extent, at least of the criminal justice system, the wealthy escaping accountability. You talked earlier at the beginning about how we should have known who he was a long time ago. And Chief Ryder and I actually talked about this kind of at length because we both have seen this so many times in our career. He's on a sex offender registry. So why isn't that working? Because it's not. Right. There are the many system is lessons. broken. The system is broken. Just because he's Epstein is no longer here. It didn't things have not been fixed. We're the work in progress and there's things creep along at a snail's pace. It's already more than a year, a year and a half since he's been dead. And and yet really that the Crimes Victims Rights Act that Brad Edwards and been fighting for in Courtney Wilde to overturn and change, it's in process and it's things are going to, I think, change, but why, why, why does everything take so long? And, and why should it have ever been set up the way that it was anyway? It's mm-hmm. like a statute of limitations and all of that. And it's oh, state by state or whatever. It's like, yep. it should be a universal law, universal age. I don't understand why sex with a girl in one state is, is legal and it's not in another. It, it doesn't make any sense. And I just, as we know, it's happened with presidential election things. Are, our American justice system is broken on so many levels. It was very much highlighted with Jeffrey Epstein and his connections in the government. I I just I appreciate so much that you gave such a platform to these survivors who they've already been through horrible things and then they were completely revictimized by the prosecutors and the system at large. And it's just ridiculous and disgusting. Another important thing I think that we should at least know is the importance of investigative journalism. The James Patterson and uh, others book, um, Brad Edwards wrote a book that's really cool and and tells a different kind of side of the story, which I think is neat to see another perspective. But your documentary, I mean, truly bringing these stories into people's living rooms is so important because I think that's when people really realized who he was. Sure, it had started coming back up with that Miami Herald piece and then obviously when he was arrested. Mm -hmm. But I was so thrilled when I logged on to Netflix and I was like, oh, yes, because I didn't know it was coming. And so definitely thank you so much for doing that. Uh, I have to ask a question. I don't think you can tell me, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Is there going to be a follow up? Because there's so many things still going on that it's not over yet. 
Yeah, you know, the thing about documentaries is that we can't cover breaking news, but I will say there's, we're certainly keeping an eye on what's happening. And um, I don't think there'll be another episode of Filthy Rich, but something separate from that is mm -hmm. um, in the in talks and in the, somewhat in the works. And that's about all I can, can say at this point. But I, I think that giving those women a voice and treating them with respect and letting them tell their, you know, we really wanted it to be from their point of view and their perspective was really important. And I think putting it out through the Netflix platform being so big in 190 countries, we really wanted to set the table for what that story was and how we got to where we are. We could, there's many other things that we could have covered this or that breaking news element, but it fundamentally we wanted to say, how in the heck did we get to where we are? This is where it started years ago. It could have been stopped. And mm -hmm. the, the outrageous deal that happened in 2007, his jail sentence and all of that. So I think as you were watching the, the series that hopefully as an audience, we're learning and also getting angrier and angrier and like, how did that happen? Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. And really, and then it builds to the kind of unfortunate ending that it had because mm -hmm. uh, we all wanted to see him go to trial and, right. and really rot in jail for mm -hmm. the rest of his life. And he, you know, of course, took the easy way out and making things very difficult for the women to collect compensation for these atrocities that happened to them. But um, anyway, it's, it's that we really just wanted to educate the public because nobody really, certainly people in China or wherever did not know, but you know what, these things are happening in their country as mm -hmm. well. And that was kind of also the moral of the story is that this is the abuse of power is in every country. It is. And sex trafficking is in every country. Mm -hmm. Now, is there a Jeffrey Epstein in every country? Maybe not, but we've learned there's certainly one, uh, you know, in, in France now, and then we know about yep. Peter Nygaard and there's, there's aren't quite as sophisticated as Epstein's was, but there's a lot of, a lot of this going on. And uh, mm -hmm. anyway, we're glad that people are now more aware of it because I don't think without the Epstein story coming out, I don't think we would have had these arrests of these other people. John Luke Brunel mm -hmm. would still be doing what he's doing. Uh, so would this Peter Nygaard and, and got Gerald Marie in the modeling industry. It's just very, um, uh, I think people are, you know, the Me Too movement had something to do with it, but these brave survivors, particularly in the Epstein show and, and through our series, were so brave in coming out and telling their stories and realizing now that it's taken 15 years of working through and working through and it's still there a work in progress trying to deal with this trauma but finally feeling the courage and the empowerment it's about being empowered to to tell what happened whatever they're able to to tell and give didn't want to push or probe but it's it is uh it was so wonderful to see that and giving them the platform to do that and tell their story and be really heard and respected for the first time in their lives really it, it certainly since that had happened uh, you know many of them were just thought they would be thought of as such a bad person it's all my mm -hmm. fault and carried so much guilt and uh, particularly the ones who are manipulated into bringing others which was almost all of yep. them um yeah you know, let's face it it's there's so much guilt and it's such a work in progress many of them are in still in therapy and and some ha have not even come to terms with it yet and talked about it with anyone mm -hmm. so there's many silent victims out there still so I can't even imagine how many more there even are. And I think it's so wonderful that it did give um, them the opportunity to do that. And I don't know what it is about why I see this mostly in women, I think for some reason, and it's always when victims anyway, I think, and it actually doesn't even matter what sex they are, but it seems like the, it's always, well, what did I do? What was, it was my fault. 
what, what did I do wrong? And I think that we already start there. And then when you have people like these defense attorneys who did the things they did and said the things they said to them, and I can't imagine how much worse of a place that put them in. And so having a platform like this, where they get to speak out. And I think, I, I think that they've been shown a lot of support from all kinds of different places. And so I think that that's really beautiful and that, you know, you help to bring that to them because they certainly deserve to know that they didn't do anything wrong, that they were children and somebody rich and powerful took advantage of them. They didn't, you know, it's not on them. Yep. I agree. And there, is there anything else about this that you want to share? Anything you want to make sure that we say before we're done today? I just, uh, well, I want to thank you for, you know, shining the light on it because just because he's gone doesn't mean it's gone away. There's still so many webs to uncover and, and lies and, and people who, who are, you know, involved. And hopefully the justice system will change. People will start to change not only laws, but the way they think, the way they see a victim or a survivor. And they will have, I don't mean sympathy isn't the right word, understanding of that and how this could happen because it could happen to, to anybody, you know, it really could. Not every girl was from a terrible home or whatever, mm-hmm. but you know, they might've just had dreams of being a model. Right. That's you know, a third of, of young teenage girls who doesn't want to model uh, <laughs> in Vogue or Victoria's Secret or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like, even if you're from the best home, you know, you, you leave your home, you go to New York, you have this dream and you're preyed upon by someone who, who says they're going to make you a star. And what they do is they tear you apart. So I think we have to be more, you know, less judgmental of women in general, I think, and not think, oh, they deserve it because they mm-hmm. were in this skimpy little outfit. And yeah. that's just, society has to change. And I think we've made progress, but there's still a long way to go. And this has really helped to shine a light on it. So I just hope it continues to to grow and people will really react in the right way. I agree a hundred percent. I don't think I could say it any better. I think we are moving in the right direction, but we still have a long way to go. So to wrap up, we, at the end of each episode, we just ask three questions about the guest. It's actually just about you. So question number one is what does courage mean to you? Courage, uh, I would say is the willingness to try something that's out of your comfort zone and not quitting if it doesn't go right the first time. I think I always tell my son, you know, is a old cliche, you know, first you don't succeed, try, try again. And then I think uh, sometimes this is a lot of my comfort zone. This is a very big story <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and it got bigger and bigger and, and staying with it. And you're, you're going to be so much richer and grow as a person. If you stay with things that are make you a little bit uncomfortable. I think that's so true. And sometimes the, the best answer is the simplest answer. So, <laughs> okay. Number two, what is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? ever ever received it's hard <laughs> uh well you know uh very similar to the other you know you can be anything that you want to be and, and don't give up really um it's funny in, in what I do you, you have to walk a very fine line when you talk to people about wanting to do an interview or you have to be respectful of people and their boundaries somebody like with the survivors for example and not to bring it back to this again but I think we had to work very cautiously and carefully to get gain their trust. And we wanted to have meetings with them. I didn't want to just throw a camera up in their face and be invasive like many news journalists are by the nature of, of what they do. You know, they have to have a story tomorrow. So they show up at a press conference and stick the microphone in your face. We didn't have to do that. So we had a little more time and the ability to meet with people and respect their boundaries and, and try to make them feel comfortable and safe. And I think that's important. 
That was a little sidebar on that question, but (laughs) (laughs) so important though. Okay. Last question. This one's a little bit lighter. Uh, what is your favorite animal and why? Uh, I love doggies. I had dogs pretty much since I was little and, um, had a number of Dalmatians, three Dalmatians at one time. Now it's funny. I have a a Labrador, but, um, I plan to get a, a Dalmatian again. I had a number of Dalmatians over the years, but, uh, Anyway, and I love them because unconditional love, there's nothing like it. They just follow you around everywhere you go and you're the greatest thing. And when you're having a bad day, you can always have that little furry, furry friend. So true. I always Probably say, I don't, I don't think we deserve dogs. They're just so much better yeah. than we are. They are such an easy life. Mine's over there just sitting there, just taking it. If I could just take a nap every day, like my dog, you know, all day long, that'd be the greatest thing. <laughs> I keep muting mine because mine's back there. I don't know if you can blame him. He likes oh, to. Oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. He's an yeah, old yeah. man, but I love him. Yeah. Um, so Lisa, thank you so very much. Really. I'm so grateful that you took the time to share your knowledge with us. And we're even more grateful that you're doing this kind of work. Like we said before, bringing these issues into people's living rooms is the single best way, in my opinion, to spread awareness of the problems and for people to learn what it looks like, because this is pervasive across not just our country, but like you said, globally. So it's so very important. And we're so, so thankful. So thank you very much for coming on today. Thank you. It's a privilege to talk to you. And it's a privilege to work on this project. And uh, I'm, I'm grateful that people like you are taking interest and in, in still keeping it in the conversation because it's not over. Yeah, you're totally right. So we're gonna we're all going to keep on keeping on. Um, thank right. you to everybody for listening. Submit any questions or requests for guests at supportforsurvivors.com. And we will see you next time. Thank you. Thank you.